Oh my gosh. And they got it. And they got it in Fitzpatrick. This win was everything 2020 needed and more. They have clinched. We have big things coming in 2021. My name's Maddie. My name's Charlotte Payne. This is Locker Room Ladies. Go Canes. Welcome back to Locker Room Ladies. I'm Charlotte. I'm Maddie. Thank you so much for joining us. Today is April 15th, and this is a very, very special day in history because on April 15th in 1947, Jackie Robinson, a legend, an American hero, started at first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers and changed the game of baseball forever. And he is commemorated to this day in so many amazing ways. We see everybody sporting number 42 on this day. And we're, we'll get into a little bit more about him in, an, in a bonus episode because this episode is very special in its own right. Yes, we have a very special guest today who Charlotte and I both know personally and got a chance to go to school with. She's a fellow Kane, fellow broadcast journalism major. We, we did UMTV with her back in the day. Yes, I love her and her story is amazing. It will bring you to tears, hopefully, because it did to one of us. <laughs> Keep listening. You won't want to miss the story of Cameron Dobbs. Our very special Locker Room Lady of the Week. Hi, thank you for joining us on Locker Room Lady. Hi, Cam. Cam, Hi. I'm so excited to talk to you about literally everything today. I haven't talked to you in so long, and I, I have so much I want to be filled in on, so much I want to talk about. You're our Locker Room Lady of the Week so excited i feel like this is going to be like a year of catching up all in one episode so I'm yes <laughs> yes well, all right let's just let's just start it out you have this is like a really exciting time for you you have a lot of really cool amazing stuff happening all at once i've been dying over your linkedin and facebook posts i've been following you, like cheering you on so like why don't we just get into it this has been kind of a whirlwind couple of months for you right yeah, for sure. So much has been going on. So many exciting things. I'm definitely just so grateful and so blessed and many opportunities, many prayers answered, but literally no complaints. Life is great right now and God is good. That's amazing. You're so let's, cute. Cam, let's make it, take it back to the start for our new listeners and those who don't know. So I met Cam at school and we anchored together like the whole thing it was so fun and uh, I had to leave because they kicked me out when I graduated and they didn't let me stay anymore <laughs> unfortunately unfortunately I couldn't stay and anchor more with Cam but let's take it back to when let's take it back to when you started playing volleyball what what was that like and how did you get into the sport yeah of course so I grew up as an athlete my entire life all of my entire life has always been about sports my dad played football at Auburn as on their football team. Um, my mom was an athlete growing up her entire life. She didn't play in college, but she actually worked with the football team at Auburn. So it was very oh, wow. heavily involved in sports. That's how she met my dad. Um, my sister was also an athlete her entire life. My brother was also an athlete his entire life. He played football at Vanderbilt. Um, and then my brother-in-law also played football at Auburn. So big football family, big sports family. And my sister, who I left out a little bit there because I wanted to save her for math, <laughs> was because um, she, like I said, was an athlete her entire life, but she ended up playing volleyball. And so my sister, she's six years older than me, but she's like my best friend. And anything that she did when I was a kid, I wanted to make sure I did too. So when she started playing volleyball, I made sure I started playing volleyball too. So I played the same position as her, grew up just, I was always that gym rat that would literally be in the convention center, like passing around balls that would get yelled at, at by refs because you're not allowed to do that. But I was always just like the gym rat anywhere and everywhere she went, followed whatever she did, followed in her footsteps, played at the same club as her. And of course, ended up playing college ball like her as well. So she was definitely my inspiration in starting. And obviously, as I continued through my career of just playing, knowing that she played in college, I wanted to do the same. I guess a little bit of a competition there too. Um, but no, she, she definitely inspired me playing volleyball and then my whole entire family sports was just our life. It always has been. It wants to, I mean, even now that I'm out of the game, which I should probably get to more of that too, it still is my future because I want to be in sports, just reporting on it now. So I love sports, always have, always will. 
Uh, volleyball has been fantastic. It's brought me literally almost every opportunity that I have ever had in the world. Um, and I love it. It's so much fun. I love it. It's awesome. What was it like? So you grew up in Georgia, right? What was it like growing up in the South as a female athlete? Your whole family is a sports family. That's got to be pretty common down South to a big football family. What was it like being a woman in that or a little girl growing up playing sports in the South? Yeah, well, SEC football. I know I know, I go to Miami. I know I'm a big Canes fan, but y'all, SEC football <laughs> is where it's at. It is. It's so, it's just the culture the tradition, there's truly nothing like it. And it's, I mean, I grew up a huge Auburn fan, obviously. My mom went there, my dad played there, my grandfather played there as well, my sister played there, my brother-in-law went there and played there. So huge Auburn fan, literally bleed orange and blue. I bleed orange and green now too, but I bleed orange and blue first. Um, and so just growing up, literally it was Saturdays were for the boys, Saturdays were for football. Like you sat, you watched all the SEC games that day. We went to the SEC fanfare, like literally anything and everything was all about football. And I loved it. And I still love it to this day. And so there's truly just such a rich tradition of football in the South. And on that, of course, any college sport too. I mean, you know, all the chants, all the cheers, you dress up for the football games, which is something that's different from Miami too, is that when I go to a college football game in the SEC or in the South, we wear dresses and boots and like wedges and heels and booties and skirts and like at Miami, you wear a t-shirt and jean shorts and call it a day. And so it's, it's so different. <laughs> it's such a different like culture shock. Like forget yeah. about the whole like South to South Florida. Talk about the football and just the college sports aspect of it too. It's crazy. It's such, it's so different. Um, but it just, it brought the entire pride. Like the Monday after the Iron Bowl at school, like you don't talk to the Alabama fans, like you or the Alabama fans don't talk to the Auburn fans. And like after we play Georgia, like there's no talking. And like if whoever wins, whoever loses, you feel that tension for like the next two weeks. Like it is insane. It is intense. And it's incredible all at the same time. I love it. And you mentioned, of course, being a female in the midst of it. Um, I don't think there was any judgment backlash or anything of it. Like I said, it was just it's who we were. Sports football in the SEC in the South it's who you are and you wear it with pride and so I was always the sporty girl I'm already 6'2 and so as a kid I was always like literally the tallest in my class taller than all the boys I played on a baseball team growing up one year with like boys in my class that I was taller with I was stronger than them like I could throw harder than them I'll, I'll, I'll say it to this day um, but one of them, two of them went to go play football at UGA. So like, this, this wasn't like a ragtag group of, you know, little toddlers or anything. Like we were all serious athletes and played together and it was awesome. So I don't think being a woman in sports in that particular setting growing up really affected me anything. I think we all earned respect. Everyone knew I was a serious athlete. Everyone knew I also knew about Auburn football and SEC football. So I could talk my smack if I wanted to. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was a great atmosphere. I love it. I love it so much. And yeah, SEC football is where it's at guys. That's, that's actually funny because my brother goes to Alabama. So I'm on the other side of that rivalry in my house, but Ooh, a little tension, a little tension. Oh, here. he literally, okay. he did not go home, come home for Thanksgiving two, three years ago in 2018, he and I both uh, did Thanksgiving in Atlanta. And the reason he didn't want to come home was because he did not want to miss the Iron Bowl because it was in Alabama. So, or it's always in Alabama, but want to miss the Iron Bowl and it was Thanksgiving weekend. So he wanted to be at school to watch it with his friends. So I, I totally get that rivalry. That's it's, it's a crazy one. It's one of the iconic ones. Even if you're not a fan of either team, you want to watch that game. But something you touched on. So you told us all about growing up. You you bled orange and blue, huge Auburn girl, war eagle. But you really, you came to Miami, to the University of Miami, and you really made it your own. You are such a cane. Like when I think of school spirit, I mean, for our listeners that don't know, Cam was just tapped into Iron Arrow, which is the highest honor attainable at the University of Miami. And it is just, she is the perfect person for it. I mean, I'm so happy for you. 
but like you really did make it your own. So, I mean, how did you come in? How did you decide on Miami and, and how did you kind of adopt that as, as your school and the school that you were going to play for and the school that you were going to cheer for coming from that SEC background? Cause Miami it is kind of a different vibe. Oh, it's for sure a different vibe. Um, and as a, as a kid from Georgia who moves to Miami without really knowing Miami beforehand, like way back even before I was recruited, like looking back at that, me, if I was telling my 10 year old self that I would be moving to Miami to go to college and play college athletics, I'd be like, what? <laughs> I'm like, no. Um, but it's, you know, again, just God is so good and he has bigger and better plans than us. And so basically, like I said, started playing volleyball. I started when I was 11 years old, started playing just like high school ball. When I was 13, I got into club. And by the time I was 14, I was already very heavily recruited. I had my first full ride offer by the time I was a freshman in high school. And so I, yeah, <laughs> I was very heavily recruited and had to grow up, had to mature very quickly, which wasn't a problem for me at all. Um, but it was just the reality of it. I was making decisions that would decide my future when I was 14 years old. Um, and so I eventually committed to Miami when I was 16. So I waited a couple years into recruiting, got to know a lot of different coaches, went on some different visits, went to camps. And Miami was actually late in my recruiting process and talking with them, which I always just think is so funny because I talked to so many schools beforehand. Like I literally would talk to schools and tell them like, I will likely commit to you and had plans to commit elsewhere. And Miami comes around and it's funny how they came around too. the full story. Um, basically Haley Templeton, who used to play at Miami, she graduated after my sophomore season. She played at my club that I played at in Atlanta and her mom helped with like the club director and things like that. So she was kind of behind the scenes. So one year we had a recruiting meeting and this was when I was probably 15 or so. And by that time, like I said, I already had a lot of full ride offers. We kind of already had the swing of this whole recruiting thing down. And so for my recruiting meeting at this club, they told me like, well, you don't really need to go to the recruiting directors just go to Haley Templeton's mom, like just go to Miss Templeton because you already have it together and just do it because it's a formality. So I go and I sit down with Miss Templeton. I tell her about my offers. I tell her what schools I'm looking at, what coaches I really like, what my goals may be, things like that. And she's like, okay, yeah, cool. Like you have it all together. No worries, Cam. And at the end of the meeting, she looks at me and she's like, now have you thought about Miami? Because Haley just loves her new coach and just like goes on and on and on and on about Miami. And so I, I'm sitting there, I'm like nodding, smiling. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll look into him. Sure, whatever. Time goes by and it gets down to the point where I'm trying to make decisions of where I want to go play in college. So closer to when I was about 16 years old and I ended up calling Miami because they did express interest in me eventually. And I called them and I was just like, hey guys, you know, I've, I've seen you around my court sometime at different tournaments and stuff and just like wanting your interest level in me as if something serious that we want to pursue or you know what's the deal basically just talking with them straight up and they're like oh yeah Cam we have an offer for you we'd love for you to come down and visit and I was like oh <laughs> okay like cool yes that's awesome okay I'll come down and visit so I came down and visited and fell in love completely fell in love with the school university obviously the campus is a resort I fell in love with the comm school I actually that that time I toured I was able to get into the UMTV studios I got to look around at everything um and it's just crazy because I can remember that memory so so vividly and then now to like see me where I am today is crazy looking back um but yeah tour the school tour the campus fell in love with the coaches the program everything about it and I went home that day telling my parents, I'm going to go to Miami. Like there's, I don't need to look anymore. I don't need to talk to anyone, anyone else. Like this is it. I love it here. This is my perfect bet. Um, and I ended up waiting because my parents told me like, okay, let's be a little more reasonable and let's wait a little more. So I waited a tiny, tiny bit more, just a couple months and then committed to Miami, came back down for another visit, went to a football game, did the whole shebang, um, committed officially when I was in my junior season of, club or sorry of high school season junior high school season for club and yeah the rest is kind of history it brought me here to play as a cane 
again, volleyball brought me so so many opportunities. And one of it is, of course, coming to the University of Miami for starters. Um, but just since there, it's been huge blessing, biggest blessing of my life. That's such a nice story. Yeah. Oh my God. To see a Georgia girl, an Auburn girl come to the U and really make it her own is so incredible. And in your freshman season, I think you guys went to the NCAA championship game, right? Did you win that game? So we, we went to the NCAA tournament. We didn't go to the NCAA. Okay. Okay. But we did actually play. So we went to the second round, made it past the first round, went to the second round, played Florida, who was number two in the nation at the time, took a set off of them. And in my opinion, I still think we should have won that match. And not even just saying that as like, oh, we lost and we should have won. Like, I truly believe we should have won that match. Um, lost in four sets, really close match. Again, number two team in the nation. We were, I don't know what we were ranked at that time. Um, we had a really great season, though. It's one of our best in program history. So, yeah, we, we could have, should have won. But it was you have, a, you have a pretty extensive resume, too, just on the team your sophomore year as well. Let's talk about sophomore year and when everything started to kind of shift. I think it was your sophomore year. Or was it your junior year when everything kind of started to shift for you? Yeah, yeah. So sophomore year started the shift and junior year <laughs> continued the shift. Um, but my career at Miami has been like, anything but normal (laughs) it's been incredible don't get me wrong but it has been anything but normal so I came in as you guys just touched on came in my freshman year battled to start would start some games would ride the bench one some games you know back and forth actually with my best friend Colby we competed against each other head-on for the same position I ended up living with her and Haley like to this day Colby's one of my best friends in the world um but we competed head-to-head every single day in practice every single match everything and so again, it was some games it was her, some games it was me. Great freshman year, went to the NCAA tournament, went to the second round, almost beat Florida, should have beat Florida. Um, but no, great season. And then sophomore year starts, and now it's Colby and I as the top outside hitters. And so we're like, okay, like best friends on the court now, like we get to play with each other. So exciting. And then season starts, and I get beat out by a freshman. And that was tough. Granted, incredible athlete of a freshman like she definitely deserved to play um but it was I mean, obviously it was hard I got beat out but nonetheless I still wanted to play still wanted to make an impact still believed I could make an impact so I ended up switching positions so I went from an outside hitter which is what I trained my entire life for that's the position my sister started as position I carried on as and then I switched positions to being a DS so if you don't know much about volleyball or if our listeners don't know much about volleyball Basically, as an outside hitter, I would hit in the front row on the left side of the court, and then I would rotate back and pass and dig in the back row. So now becoming a DS, I only stayed in the back row and I dug. And I was probably the tallest defensive specialist in the entire nation, being 6'2 and only staying on the back row, not even hitting, not even doing what I was trained to do my entire life. Um, But it was so fun. I was the starting defensive specialist, had a great time, again, contributing to my team. So no complaints. Obviously, I miss hitting, but no complaints overall. And as I got the hang of that, another wrench got thrown in the plans. So about two weeks or so go by, and I get my first concussion. And it happened in practice as I was playing as a DS. We have relatively low ceilings in our gym at Miami. Everyone says it. We all know it. And so during practice, a girl shanked a ball. So she dug a ball and it hit all the way up and hit the ceiling. And because our ceilings are low, they kind of like ricochet when a ball hits it. And so I'm sprinting after to go save the ball because you can play it off of the ceiling. And little did I know my other teammate was doing the same. So we're both sprinting, sprinting, sprinting to go get this ball. It ricochets off the ceiling. And as it ricochets, we both kind of change direction. And I come at her, she comes at me, and my head went into her collarbone. So pretty much just felt like I hit a brick wall, and that was concussion number one. I ended up practicing the rest of practice, did a whole weight session with the class, um, and then later in the day, that's when I really felt the symptoms come on, texted my trainer, told her I wasn't feeling so hot, and next day was concussion. So I had a concussion for about two and a half weeks, came back, fully recovered, and Things kind of shifted a little within our team while I was gone a little bit. 
And so I came back seeing them just not exactly where they wanted to be. And so I went to the coaches first day I was cleared to play. And I went to the coach's office. I walked into my head coach's office and I looked at them. I sat down. I said, Kenno, I have played outside. I've played DS. And if you want me to play another position, I'll be happy to play anything else. I want to be able to contribute to the team. I want to help out. And I obviously want playing time. Um, so I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do. So the next day I started training as a middle hitter. So I switched positions again. I played three different positions within a month. Um, and again, for you non-volleyball fans, that's basically like going from, I relate it to football a lot, being a big football fan. So it's basically like going from a wide receiver to then a kicker to then a defensive lineman like three very drastically different positions on the court, going from an outside hitter to a DS to then a middle blocker and a middle hitter. Very, very different positions. Again, crazy transition within one month of playing college ball. I had also never played middle in my entire life. And then here I am in my sophomore season, now the starting middle. So again, crazy experience at the University of Miami. Incredible, but nothing close to normal. So my sophomore season goes by, all is good. I was the starting middle. I loved doing it. It was a blast. I was learning so much every single day. Goes by, spring comes along, training during the off season, and we're getting so close to the end, actually, when school's about to end. And I'm blocking in practice, and as I'm blocking, I jump up, and one of my teammates elbows me in the head. And that's concussion number two. So this one was a little bit of the same as the first one. I actually was only about two and a half weeks out again. This one actually wasn't as severe. I was just out because I had some mild symptoms and because I had any symptoms at all, I wasn't able, I wasn't cleared to play. So no headaches or anything. I was just severely dizzy. I was so dizzy all the time. I, it was just terrible. I would go through a roundabout. You guys know the roundabouts around school. I would go through one of those roundabouts, like driving my car and just feel like I was Oh, it's just terrible. So I couldn't play for about two and a half weeks, but came back in the summer, full on, ready to go, going into my junior season. So junior season comes along and I'm now, you know, the starting middle, getting the hang of this thing. I'm kind of like an old top dog now on the volleyball team, being a junior and having a blast, getting down, you know, all of this whole college thing. And my very first tournament, first match, first set. And first point of what was supposed to be my junior season, I was blocking against USF, made a pretty good block move, if I do say so myself, to their right side hitter. And my hands were just a little bit wide and the ball ended up skipping through my hands, nailing me in the forehead and going up and hitting those low ceilings that I was talking about earlier. So pretty hard German ball to hit me on the head and then go shoot up and hit all the way up to the ceiling. And that's concussion number three. So this one was by far the worst. It kept me out for about five months to fully recover. I ended up dropping out of school, basically. I had to get incomplete in all of my classes. I couldn't go to school. I couldn't go to practice. I couldn't even go inside the gym because I couldn't follow a ball with my eyes and I couldn't stand the noise. Um, I, like I said, couldn't go to class, couldn't do anything at all. I had literally the athletic ability of an avocado, like sat in my bed all day, 24 seven. I wore sunglasses and earplugs and headphones everywhere I went if I left my house because of noise and light. Um, it was way too harsh for me. I was on a ton of very serious medication. I went to three types of therapy. I had cognitive therapy. I had vestibular therapy, which is for your brain. And then I had straight up therapy to try to keep me sane during all this, because during all this, I also battled depression and anxiety. Um, it was really dark time in my life when you're kept in your bedroom 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm used to being the go-getter, the girl that kind of has it all together, the girl that's involved in a million and one things. I, you know, was on, I was on the executive board of the student athlete advisory committee I was the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I anchored for UMTV. I was a starter on the Canes volleyball team. I served at my church. I led Operation Christmas Child. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I was a straight A student. And here I am now at home 
barely even able to email my professor saying I can't come into class today because I couldn't stare at a screen. And so it was just a really tough time in my life. And on top of that, this injury forced me to medically retire from the sport I love. And so it was a career, I mean, it was a season ending injury where every single week that went by, I would talk to my trainer thinking, maybe I can travel this weekend. Maybe I can travel the next weekend. Maybe I can go to the match today. Maybe I can go to a practice today and see my teammates for once. Um, and every time it went by, it was just, no, no, no. Every time someone saw me in the training room with my sunglasses on, filling out my symptom sheet, saying, basically, I have the worst of all of these symptoms, I would be asked, how are you feeling? Are you feeling any better? And again, every day it was just, no, I feel terrible. And there wasn't really anything I could do about it. I just had to live through it and pray that the next day I would wake up with less headaches than I had the day before. And there were so many days that I didn't think that day would ever come. Um, and it, like I said, it didn't come fully until about four to five months after. And so once November, December came along, in December, I made the decision that I need to leave or else I will never get better. Because even though I was so limited, I was still trying my best to get things done. I was still trying to study for exams. I was still trying to occasionally go into class and make it 20 minutes through class before I had to leave. Um, my doctor's notes literally said, try to go for class for 20 minutes this week. My physical therapy appointments consisted of me trying to walk 10 minutes a day, or really 10 minutes three times a week, um, at two miles per hour. And if you don't know how slow two miles per hour is, it's about a snail's pace, quite literally. And there were days that I couldn't even do that. I couldn't even go for 10 minutes and I couldn't even walk two miles per hour. Um, there were days that I was walking so slow on the treadmill that my therapist looked at me and said, get down. It's hurting you so much. You're going so slow that it's actually hurting you more. Um, or my heart rate would just shoot up out of the roof and they would pull me down and say, you have to cut it off. So again, I, I couldn't do anything, quite literally. I was very, very disabled during that time and it was the hardest time of my life, but I'm healed today. Again, God is good. And it's made me into the person I am. It's made me passionate about the things that I'm now passionate about, being mental health, one of the biggest things now. Before, before all of this happened, I was truly a cynic about mental health. I was always thinking, you know, someone who grew up as a, as a very strong Christian, even now to this day, I always just kind of thought if you had depression, if you had anxiety, pray a little more, go to church, get better friends, and you'd be cured. You'd be fine. And then I went through it and I was like, oh my goodness, like why is this not talked about more? And so now, I mean, it's it's my inspiration to talk more about mental health. It's my passion. And and when I feature student athletes now that I do interviews on and I do projects on, that's what I want to showcase. I want to showcase how they're more than an athlete. I want to showcase how their identity doesn't it's not about what they do on the court. It's not their performance on the court. It's not their performance on, in the classroom. It's who they are outside of it. And that was one of the things that I had to learn a lot about myself because I, like I said, my resume, my resume says it all. I have a million and one things on my resume that I'm very, very proud of that I've worked super hard for. And I grew up telling everyone I'm a child of God and that's how I define myself. But when you go through something like that, that literally takes every single thing away from you I couldn't serve an FCA, I couldn't serve in SAC, I couldn't do UMTD, I couldn't even go to class, wasn't making straight A's, couldn't go to practice, wasn't a starter on the Canes volleyball team anymore. I wasn't, I couldn't be known for any of those things anymore at all. I, I couldn't do any of them. I was literally sitting in my bed all day. And so I had to decide for myself that even if all of those things go away, I am still worthy. I am still enough. I am still a fantastic person. I am still joyful. Maddie's going to make me cry. <laughs> Maddie's going to start crying. Wait, Cam, you're like touching my heart right now. I'm not even kidding. And again, it's the hardest time of my life. And it's funny because last night I was literally crying about this to my best friends and my parents, telling them that I was just thankful they were there through it all because it really was the darkest time of my life. And it has made me who I am today, though, and I'm thankful for it. Obviously, every single day I go into practice now as a coach, which a, another great opportunity I've had because of it is because no longer I can play, but my coaches gave me the opportunity to stick around the team and coach, which I'm first off so thankful for because two years ago, I can't even step foot into that gym because I, again, I couldn't watch practice. I couldn't follow the ball. 
I couldn't stand the light or the noise or anything. And now I'm in there every single day. Now, again, it still breaks my heart every single day I walk into practice and know that I can't step on the court that I used to. You know, I, I can't go and play like all of my teammates that I played with side, side by side with, that I can't do the same thing anymore. And it hurts me every single day. It hurts me. But again, I know God had a plan and his plans are bigger, bigger and better than ours. And so I'm, I'm proud to be where I am. I'm grateful of the opportunity that I am in. I'm so thankful to be able to now coach. I was a coach for a college team before I was even 21 years old. And I'm still doing it to this day, still plan to do it this next year during fall season. And I love it. Um, and it's just taught me one of my biggest pieces of advice that I've actually, my mom has always told me growing up. And even now in these past two years, since going through this concussion and medically retiring, it's really reminded me more than anything in my life to play where your feet are. And if you ask me what my best piece of advice is, it's to play where your feet are. Because I played on the court and I can tell you if I was ever playing on the court, I was going to do my best. I would try to be the best teammate out there. Obviously the best player on the court if I could and, and play where my feet are. If I was on the bench, being benched, not playing at all, I will still play where my feet are because I'm going to be the best cheerleader on the bench. I'm going to try to help my teammates out as much as I can with staff, with telling them shots to hit, whatever it may be. I'm going to play where my feet are. Now, as a student assistant coach for the Canes volleyball team, I'm still playing where my feet are, even though I'm not playing at all. I'm still playing where my feet are because I'm doing my best in the position that I am. Again, helping my teammates. Again, helping the coaches, helping the program. Yes, I may not be physically playing on the court, but I'm still playing where my feet are. And this can be related to more than just sports. If I'm in the studio, if I'm at the desk at sports desk, if I'm out in the field reporting, I'm gonna play where my feet are and do the best in the position that I am, no matter what and no matter where. And that's one of the biggest things that I've learned just from going through this injury. And honestly, if I would have listened to that piece of advice while I was injured, it would have saved me a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety and a lot of heartbreak too. Because those days when I could only walk two miles per hour for 10 minutes a day, that broke my heart during that time. Again, I had depression, I had anxiety. It was a really dark time in my life. But if I would have played where my feet are and said, okay, Cam, your goal right now is not to win ACC championships. It's not to win ACC accolades. Your goal right now is to get your brain better. That would have shifted my whole entire mindset. And again, it's playing where your feet are no matter what, no matter where. And that's the best piece of advice I will ever have. I'm speechless. Cam, we sat next to each other on the desk. We sat next to each other on Friday and wrote the entire sports desk in college. We sat next to each other on the desk and talked about the football game or the baseball, whatever. And I had no idea. That just goes to show you. I knew about your injury. I knew that you were the star athlete and you did everything, literally everything. And I never knew that you had gone through something that difficult. And I had my own things. The person next to us, it, it just goes to show everybody is going through something so crazy and you don't know what it is and you never will know. And I love that sentiment, play where your feet are, because anybody who's listening, if you're going into college and you want to play a sport, if you're a female in a male dominated industry, maybe, and you don't know where you're going, or if you're me, you're just starting out in the world and you don't know what you're doing, or Maddie just made a move to Tampa play where your feet are. That's huge advice. I appreciate that a lot. Like you're like making me emotional. <laughs> I love it. I'm so emotional. Kim, you're so amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't know really any of that. Like I, I graduated um, a year before Charlotte. So for our listeners who don't know, I'm a little older than both of them. So Cam and I didn't have as much time together at UM, but I, yeah, I just knew you, I, I knew you played volleyball, I knew you did UMTV, I knew you were a really nice girl, but I, oh my god, you've been so, through so much, and you are wise beyond your years, and I have written down, I have, I wrote down four things before we interviewed you, because I kind of wanted this to be more of a conversation, I literally wrote down four words, 
And the first word I wrote down was positivity, because that's what I think of when I think of Cam Dobbs. And I wanted to ask you about that, but oh my God, I'm like getting really emotional. Maddie's for, you guys can't see, Maddie literally <laughs> broke down to tears. I almost did, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm like holding my breath because I don't want to cry in front of Cam. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Right. But Maddie's, Maddie was bawling her eyes out, which goes to show how amazing Cam is at storytelling, no less. <laughs> But I wrote down the word positivity because that's what seriously what I think of when I think of you, like just from the small amount of time that we had in person at school and just from following each other on social media and kind of seeing what you're up to. I just I've always thought like, wow, she is such a light. And I wanted to ask you about that because I wanted to ask how you were able to bring that positivity to the table every day. And I feel like that story just really goes to show that it is something that you had to work towards at a certain point, but, but how do you keep that? I mean, aside from that advice, you just told us you, you are such a light and just such an incredible person. And you've obviously had dark days. How do you keep this, this positivity going on and on and on day after day? Yeah, well, again, not to bring Jesus into every conversation here, but my favorite verse of the Bible is rejoice in the day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. Um, and so and every single day, I just that's my mindset is to go out and be happy because it's another opportunity to live your life and to make someone else smile and just do the best you can to play where your feet are. And it's another opportunity to do that every single day. It's and in, and when you're in South Florida, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> so every single day is just an incredible opportunity to live and to live a life full of living and just to enjoy and to make others enjoy and to make others around you happy and just be the joy of and the light and everything and every one that you interact with. Um, my mom always told me again, mother knows best. <laughs> my mom gives me a lot of great pieces of advice and every day she would just tell me to be the light. A lot of times, even now we're texting, she always ends it all with be the light. Um, and so it's awesome that you just say you see that in me as well, because that's, that's one thing I work for. And it's one thing I pride myself in. I pride myself in trying to be the light to anyone and everyone I come in contact with. I mean, Maddie, you said it too. You never know what people are going through. Or, and Charlotte too. I mean, you said we sat next to each other on the desk, but you didn't necessarily know my full story. And the same thing goes, I don't know yours. And so the fact that Maddie, I can bring smiles to you or tears, but hopefully they're more happy tears to you <laughs> when we interact with each other, that makes my day. It makes me smile because I've done my job. I've played where my feet are. And right now my feet are sitting in front of my desk on this Zoom call, talking to, talking to you guys, hoping that some way, somehow I can inspire you and make you smile. And so again, it goes back to the whole concept of playing where your feet are and that Every interaction you have with someone can be a positive interaction. Every interaction that someone had with me during my darkest days, if it was a positive interaction, it made my week. It didn't just make my day, it made my week. And it got me through just getting through it one more day. A lot of times during my concussion too, I couldn't sleep. And I was, again, I wasn't doing anything. So oftentimes I was just sitting with my thoughts. And most of the time they were not good thoughts. They were not positive vibes and good things while I was out and just concussed that whole time, which by the way, symptoms of a concussion are depression and anxiety as is. And so that's really why I have battled it a lot because I am a naturally positive person. Um, I'm not a crier <laughs> at all. And so for me, I was crying a lot during my concussion and I would cry and I would sit there in frustration because I was crying. And then I would cry even more because I was frustrated that I was crying and I was sitting in my frustration about crying. And so just little things like that. Again, if someone texted me that day though and asked how I was feeling, not even, not even anything else, just asked how, how I was feeling. Or if they came by and brought me a little treat or did whatever it may have been, like I said, it, it made my week. Kim, I thought this, and we could put this in the podcast too. I thought that this was gonna go. I had some questions in my head I wanted to ask you. And now it's completely shifted. I have so many different things I want to ask you because of that whole, your whole story. And please ask. I, mean, I just, I love talking about it. 
for those that are listening on the podcast and can't see, uh, Cam was talking about her positivity and how she loves to smile. She has had the biggest, most beautiful smile on her face the entire time. Like since we started this Zoom call, I'm sure you can hear it in her voice, but I just wanted to paint the picture a little bit. You know what's interesting? I always thought this when we would anchor together, we were on the desk together, like doing recording pod together. Um, And I'd be interested to go back and look at those. I always thought like, you know how you're in your head, like you're in college and you're like, ah, I did, I did bad that day, whatever. I always thought that you spoke like you were, like you could hear your smile. I always thought that. And there Maddie is saying it again. And I'm here looking at you while you tell this story and you're smiling the whole way through. Thanks. <laughs> I don't really have much to say besides that, but I'm, I'm kind of known, I guess, to always be smiling and you talk oh, yeah. about positivity and just, I'm kind of a happy-go-lucky personality a little bit. Um, again, I, I'm also very serious about different things, but I like to enjoy, I like to have fun and I'm, I'm a go-getter, but I like to have fun while I'm doing it. I like to live a life full of living. And I believe, like I said, back then that every day is an opportunity to just enjoy even more than the last um and so yeah I try to do that every day speaking of being a go-getter uh your newest endeavor newest thing you can add to the list of all the things you've been a part of uh you're using your volleyball skills and knowledge but in a completely different way different way than coaching different way than playing now you're on the sidelines for a different reason can you tell us about that Yes. Oh my goodness. My dream pretty much just came true last week because growing up before I spoil the whole story, growing up, I obviously from the moment I was about 13 years old, my mom told me that I should go into communications. I should go into broadcast journalism and the rest is history. So ever since I was 13, I already decided this is what I wanted to do. I always said I wanted to work for ESPN. And then when the ACC network started, as I was going through high school um, and they announced the starting of it. And then of course, when I got to Miami, it did start officially. I told everyone, okay, I want to work for the ACC network. And then I want to work for ESPN. And of course they're hand in hand. They're owned pretty pretty much by the same people owned by ESPN. Um, And that dream came true last week. I worked for ESPN or I worked for ACC network last weekend as I was the ACC network extra color commentator for the Louisville versus UNC volleyball match, which actually ended up being the ACC championship volleyball match of the season. So pretty crazy that my first color commentating of a volleyball match ever was the ACC championship, but it was just so much fun. And again, I go back to this playing where your feet are because that gym, I have played on that court. I have sat the bench as a player. And then I have coached on the sidelines. And then now I was up in the booth now being the color commentator for a match in that, in that gym. So again, playing where your feet are, I was all over that gym, but every single spot I was in, I tried to do the best I possibly could. And I believe that the way I played on the court made me a better coach. I believe the way that I now coach made me a better color commentator. And it just all revolves around each other and helps each other out. And playing where your feet are does that for you. It connects you to multiple opportunities that you will never even imagine you may have. But because you're being present in the moment, giving your best and all you have in the moment you're in, it will impact you in the future when your feet are 10 steps that way or 10 steps that way. Where you are right now gets you there. And that's what it did for me. And again, dream comes true. It's just the start of it. The best is yet to come, but it's the beginning. And it's really, really exciting. I had a blast. Oh my goodness, it's so much fun. And I literally walked out of the gym that day and talked to my parents and I said, I cannot believe people get paid to do this because it is so much fun. I had like, again, I had a blast. And I'll say that a million and one times because it was so much fun just reflecting on my experience as a broadcast journalist and my experience as a player in the ACC the way that I could talk about those players, share little tidbits of their stories as well, talk about them, celebrate with Louisville on their ACC championship. Like it was a blast once again. And again, I can't wait for many more to come. I just also want to say congratulations because you recently won an award for a story you did on your brother, which is amazing. You were also on the Today Show, I believe. Not Today Show. Oh, that would be cool too. I was on what was season. it? I was on CNN. Oh, you're on CNN. That's unbelievable. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because not only 
were you a player? Were you a coach? Were you a color commentator? You're also a follower of Christ and you have done some amazing things from that. I want to hear about it. Yeah, of course, of course. So basically what, I guess for starters, what the thing was, what happened was CNN does a special and they actually haven't done it in a hot second here, but they do a special every so often called Difference Makers. And so this year in 2020, I was CNN, I was CNN's like Bleacher Report and Liberty Mutual Difference Maker, which is actually insane <laughs> to even say, even to this day, I can't even believe it. Um, again, and another crazy opportunity that just has come because of doing what I do and just loving what I do. And so basically for the past three years here at Miami, I have led Operation Christmas Child and Operation Christmas Child is very near and dear to my heart. I did not create Operation Christmas Child. Everyone always asks me that. I didn't, cre I didn't start that. It was started by Samaritan Purse way back in the 90s. Um, but I've grown up since I was about two years old packing these Christmas boxes for kids. And so I did it. My, my siblings did it. I'm the youngest of the family. So my older siblings did it. So when I was a little baby and they were in school, I was doing it with them. And then as I went through school, elementary, middle and high school, I packed a shoebox every single year. And then when I got to college, my freshman year, I didn't do it. And it just felt weird. It felt off and I, I missed it. And so my sophomore year came around and I was like, guys, why don't we do this at the University of Miami? Like, it's so fun. It's, it's such a cool project. And what it is, is you pack these literally shoe boxes. In fact, if you can look in my room, I have like four shoe boxes stacked up right there because I always save them <laughs> for the next year. So it is now March or it's now April and I already have shoe boxes lining up in my room. Um, but that's just how it is. <laughs> so basically you pack a shoebox. You can literally park, pack an Adidas shoebox or you can pack an OCC Operation Christmas Child branded shoebox each year. And you can take it to a donation center, a collection site that's typically all over where you live. And they ship it off and they ship it to all over the world. So most of the times these are going to children in hard to reach places. They're going to orphanages. And oftentimes it's the first Christmas gift that this kid may ever receive. It may potentially be the, the only Christmas gift they may receive. Um, usually it's the first. And then also on top of that, when they get the Christmas gift, they also are given the gospel. So they also have missionaries go and give these boxes out and they preach to them, tell them about Jesus Christ, give them their little Christmas gift. And it's just an incredible operation. So my sophomore year came along. And again, I, I missed it my freshman year and I wanted to do it in Miami. So we started really, really late. I somehow got connected to a guy that kind of helped with it in the South Miami area. And we went for it. And I think our goal was like 250 boxes. We have about 400 athletes in, at University of Miami. So I was like, okay, 400 athletes, not everyone's going to do it. Let's go for 250. Like, let's just, you know, it's our first year ever doing this. Who knows what will happen? And we ended up doing like 350. <laughs> and so we beat our goal by 100 boxes. It was a blast we would go on packing parties and shopping dates to the dollar tree we would buy out the entire dollar tree get all these toys for the kids pack them together all of our student athletes had so much fun doing it and we did it together with fca and SAC, the fellowship of christian athletes and the student athlete advisory committee and then extended it of course to all the teams and everyone involved and we had people across campus wanting to get involved but that was just year one so year two comes along and year two happened to also be when I was severely concussed. So talk about just a struggle is real going through a full concussion, also trying to lead Operation Christmas Child at the same time. Um, but because we did so well the first year, we said, okay, let's up the ante this year. We started even earlier. We started in um, probably September or so, really putting out the word and then collecting in October and we, we send them off at the end of November. And so we raised our goal. I think we raised it to 500 and we were like, all right, guys, 500 is a push, but we got this. And like, as we go through these months of doing Operation Christmas Child, we get so competitive because we're, we're posting everything. Because you're athletes too. Exactly. <laughs> and so I'll, I literally, I got a call from baseball, one of the baseball guys one day, and they're like, Hey, we're giving $300 from the baseball team to go to Operation Christmas Child. And I was like, Oh my gosh, y'all are incredible. Thank you so much. Like, this is awesome. 
And then the next like football's like, okay, well, we got 50 boxes for you guys. So like take that baseball. And then volleyball's like, okay, no, we're gonna help out too. And like we're gonna do this. And so we're all Oh my god, I love that. It is so much fun, I'm telling you. And it it shocks me every year because like I said, I've been doing this since I was two years old. These people just heard about this like yesterday, and they're having the time of their lives doing this. And they're packing the shoeboxes and they're buying the items and they're and they tell me every year, they're like, Kim, I had so much fun going shopping for this little two to four-year-old girl. Like, look at these cute little socks. Look at this headband I got her. Look at these scrunchies. Like, she has the best box ever. And just, again, we get so competitive. We have so much fun with it. And we're not even receiving the gift. That's the greatest thing, too. We pack all these. We spend all this money. We do all this for these kids. And they're, it's for the kids. It's not for us at all. And we don't get anything for it. Um, and that's the beauty of it. So year two was incredible. We ended up again going for 500, and I think we ended up getting 687. We donated 687 boxes, which was insane. And then this year comes along. So year one, we started and it was new, and we still blew our goal out of the water. Year two, we started and I was severely concussed, and we still blew our goal out of the water. Year three comes along, and we're in the coronavirus pandemic. Like, are you kidding me? Half the time, we weren't even sure if it would still go on. We weren't sure if they were doing Operation Christmas Child. We didn't have half of our leaders here. Student athletes couldn't really get together and do packing parties. We used, I'm telling you, we used to have parties with this. We would set up all the boxes. We would go shopping together. We couldn't do any of that. And so this year was really unique because a lot of it was me asking if people wanted to help out. And if so, they were usually just Venmoing me. And so I would go through like each week in the fall and we started off really slow. Don't get me wrong. We started off really slow and we told everyone, okay, we're going to go for 150. Like we did 687 the year before, but we're going to go to 150 because we have like zero help this year able to be here in person. We it's the coronavirus pandemic. Like we can't advertise the way we used to. We would just set up like a table outside of the athletic center and ask people if they could come by and grab a box and go fill it up and bring it back and hope that they would do all that. And so we started off super slow. And I remember when, hit, when we hit 50 boxes, it was like, yes, we hit 50. Like we're almost to our goal, 150. And before you knew it, we shot up. And so pretty much from then on out, we were like just booking it. And we had donations coming in each week. I had like $800 to go spend at the Dollar Tree. And I would, I kid you not, buy out their entire toy section, buy out all of their crayons, all their colored pencils, all their notebooks. So I, I literally bring baskets and baskets and carts full and put them on the little conveyor belts. And they're bringing up one at a time, these like 800 items that I'm checking out with. Mind you, like once a week I go. And so again, like I said, we were just, blasting off we started blasting off out of nowhere in the fall and it was incredible it was so much fun everyone just grabbed onto it they were donating just as much as they could anyone and everyone was participating and as I said we set our goal for 150 we ended up getting close to 500 and DJ Vasilovich former Canes basketball player said oh I want to help out too so he's in Australia but he's like no like I want to do this and so he donates gets us past our goal our next goal that we made another goal because we passed our first goal we hit 500 went past 500 and then on collection day in November we ended up getting and I'm going to mess up the number off the top of my head excuse me I've had three concussions in a year I think we ended up getting 700 like 30 750 I can't even remember but our record-breaking year in a pandemic and it was just absolutely insane so to go back to your original questions about 10 minutes ago when I started this story is CNN featured me as their difference maker because of my efforts with Operation Christmas Child the past three years at Miami. And in three years, we've donated nearly 2,000 Christmas boxes to kids overseas, which is 2,000 kids getting a Christmas, maybe their first Christmas ever, and also receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ in three years. So. You are just a gem. Where are the flaws? Where like, are the flaws? <laughs> you are such a treat. Like I, I, I have the biggest smile on my face, and I was just. I need to do more. <laughs> I need to do so much more. 
You can help oh out. Oh my god. I know. I'm literally well. I'm like so inspired by you. And literally, if anybody's listening and they're in the littlest bit inspired by this, which I'm sure you are because I am, and so is Maddie, reach out. I'll put you in touch with Cam. Seriously. Yeah, I want to get incredible. I live um, I? four hours away now. I'll drive down and go to the Dollar Tree with you. <laughs> I live in New Jersey, so I'm a little far, but I will help. If someone in Australia you- can help. I yes, can do it yeah, too. Yeah. Venmo. Venmo is queen when it comes to Operation <laughs> Christmas Child because I'm telling you, people just Venmo and cash up all day long and they see, and I try my best too, which I'm mean, sure you guys see. I'm on Instagram every single day, especially during that time, because if people are investing in this, I want to, I want them to see what they're investing in. And so I'm trying my best on the days that, especially I'm up sitting on this floor right here, pack, packing shoe boxes till 2 a.m. in the morning knowing that I have to get up at 6 a.m. the next day for practice, like, I want them to see that because, yes, it's hard work, but it's it's work that is worthy, and it's just, it's such good work, and again, I, I never meet these kids for the most part. I've actually met two people, I think, that have actually received an Operation Christmas Child box when they were kids. I've actually met two of them, um, but for the most part, I don't really see where the box goes much. I can see the location of the general area. I mean, we've had ones go to Cameroon, Cambodia, Nigeria, Guatemala. Lots of them went to the Bahamas when the hurricane hit the Bahamas. Um, and so we get a general direction, general area. We don't always get to see the kid that it may go to. But same thing with Operation Christmas Child, Samaritan's Purse, Purse as a whole. They put out these great videos of you see the kids opening the shoebox and they just pull out they're big they're called wow toys so they'll pull out their big teddy bear their big doll and they're just so excited like the pure joy that they have is the pure joy that I have when I'm packing the shoebox knowing that that's the pure joy they're gonna have and so it really is just an incredible operation and it's so much fun it's a lot of work but it's so 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 worth it and I love that the University of Miami and surrounding community as a whole has bought into it because it's just, it's such a beautiful operation. And I'm, I'm so happy. It, it truly brings me so much joy each year being able to lead it. And I'm excited to lead it one more year in Miami this year. I can tell how much joy it brings you. Oh my gosh, you are seriously such a treat. Cam, we need to have you back on. Yeah, I have so many more things I need to ask you, but I don't think there's enough time in the day. <laughs> truly, I have, we need to have a part two. No, seriously, like, we are unfinished. They're already planning a Canes episode. We don't know when that's going to happen, but we're gathering all of our favorite Canes. Um, so you're definitely clear your schedule for the TBD because. Yes, um, please. You were so flexible today, even with my crazy work schedule. Like, thank you so much for being so flexible. But you have to come back on because we need to hear so much more. And I feel like even if we talk to you in another month, there'll be like 10 more things that you're doing. I love it. No, I would love to come back on. Oh my goodness. I'm a huge fan of you guys. I mean, oh my God. I mean, seriously though, even back to like the sports desk days, I mean, y'all were the older girls that had it going and like, I guess the anchor was Oh my God. Yeah, you're literally making me blush. I've always been huge fans of you guys. Are you kidding me? And then of course, starting the Locker Room Ladies podcast, like I'm a listener for you guys. So I've love you on here. Like I'm honored to be on here. And I'm the cutest. Like I'm going to cry again. Like you're the cutest person. Like ever <laughs> yeah if you want to just talk for fun and not do an interview sometime like charlotte and i come on zoom like four times a week and just sometimes sit here. <laughs> Cam, sometimes we'll come on we'll be like all right we're gonna record the podcast tonight and then we'll just end up talking about nothing has to do with the podcast and can you please like come on and just hang out with us Let's and maybe it. we could do it on um uh what's it called maddie i'm blanking because i literally clubhouse. oh my god house are you on clubhouse <laughs> I'm not, but like everyone is. I'm sending like you an invite. Like, I'm we're, literally we're sending gonna get you an invite. Clubhouse. Yeah, you're getting on Clubhouse. You're gonna come and join our clubs. You seriously, like you would be good on Clubhouse too because it's it's so cool and you can join all of your groups. Oh my gosh, like pay me Clubhouse. Oh. I'm just selling the shit out of this I, thing. But seriously, it's fun <laughs> and you should come into our room because we're trying to like start clubs. Yeah, let's do it. I'm yes, not- I cannot wait to see what you do next. We are going to talk again so soon. I'm going to shoot you so many texts to get ready <laughs> just because I love you. And um, we are going to have you back on because I can't wait to hear more. 
Kim, we are like, I seriously, like I said before this started, I always see your stuff and I'm always just like cheering you on. Like, oh yeah, like she's killing it. This girl has got it going on. But I seriously, like knowing your full story and just having the opportunity to talk to you and just see how genuine and amazing you are. I am seriously one of your biggest fans now. Like you have a fan of me. I will be cheering you on for the end of time. Like I am so excited to see what you have in years to come and in months to come because I just know you have so many big things coming and like this girl is unstoppable so look out for Cam Dobbs seriously you're so sweet I'm speechless I'm speech I have so many questions and I'm speechless so we're gonna have to do this again (laughs) part two coming soon I'm so down part two part two coming soon thank you so much for coming on we love you we love you we love you you're an angel thank you so much bye Thank you so much to Cam. That was a very, very inspiring story. I know I feel like I've been touched by an angel just listening, being a part of that conversation. I literally cried. I'm sure you guys could hear that and the reactions to me in full out tears. So we'll definitely be having Cam back on again. We have so much more to talk about with her and she has so much more to share, but that was just a little taste of her incredible story. And we are so blessed and so honored to have her on this episode. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cam. Truly, I'm speechless after listening to your story. You're such an inspiration and it was a privilege to have you on this week. And look out for a special bonus episode of Locker Room Ladies later this week because so much is happening we could not fit it all into one episode this week yeah and you know what Maddie this weekend I'm gonna play where my feet are see what I see what I can do with that piece of advice that Cam left (laughs) with us and if your feet happen to be an Instagram right now while you're listening be sure to check out our post because we did drop brand new merch And you're definitely going to want to get your hands on that this summer. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please be sure to give us a rate, a subscribe, a follow, whatever it is you do. Give it to us. We, We really appreciate the love. Send this episode to your friends and go ahead and give Cameron a follow on Instagram. We tagged her on our Instagram you guys so much again we'll catch you in a very special bonus episode coming very soon